Welcome to the New Hope 365 podcast. Our youth group, G1, currently meets from 7 to 8.30 p.m. on Wednesday evenings. They have a lot of fun activities planned this summer, so be sure to follow their Instagram account, nh365students, to keep up with the latest. Our adult and children's ministries meet Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m., and we'd love to have you join us. Masks are optional. And now, here is today's message. Today, we're looking at Ephesians chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 5. You can also go to the uh, Bible app, the YouVersion Bible app, and I have put the scripture in there for you to follow along. And so, I have asked the question during this series on Ephesians, which I believe I will be able to wrap up before the official merger in August. Okay, I believe I'm going to be able to do that. And, um, and the question is asked, who am I? The answer to that question is this. I am an image bearer of God. I am an image bearer of God. Now, whether you're a Christian or you don't call yourself a Christian, do you know that you are an image bearer of God? And, and so growing to understand that is significant. And I have shared how either your identity is in Christ or your identity is an idolatry. Either Christ is the very center, focal point of your life, or something else is. And it is important for us to understand if there is something else that has been elevated, whether that's your spouse, whether that's your children, whether that's possessions, whether that's a job, whether that's hobbies, if that's money, if it's, if it's your own ego, is elevated... Our Heavenly Father's going, you need to get that removed. You don't want to live or walk in idolatry. Because you, honestly, your life will never become what it could become if you were walking in step with me. And so, that's important for us to wrestle down. I've entitled today's topic, Who's Your Daddy? Who's Your Daddy? And it's a topic of, um, of adoption. I, I kind of like to piggyback a little bit. Just, it just spurred me for a moment, Marcy, when you shared about cows. And you talked about cows that are sitting around a pond. And then one cow that seems to be like missing it. Or, or just like, what in the world is this cow doing? And when you think about, you used Psalm 23 in the imagery of, he, lied, he guides me be, be, beside still waters. He restores my soul. What you know about sheep Maybe you know about sheep, but it is that the, the quiet waters, the still waters, why is that such a big deal? Because sheep are skittish. Sheep tend to get spooked by the, you know, sheep tend to be, okay, sheep tend to be stupid, not smart, you know, whatever. And hence why the imagery is there, not to say, oh, we're all stupid, but just to say we do need a shepherd because we would be apt to get ourselves killed <laughs> if we didn't. Think about the things that we needed to do. So a sheep is led by still waters. And and when you think about it, one would have to, for that sheep to physically get in the water, would have to be in immense trust to see a shepherd, still water, and go, I'm just going to wade out into the water. And I'm going to get in the water. And it feels good. And if any of you know what's happening in the summer, spring, summer, in Texas, specifically in this area, you'll know this. 
that we are infested with flies. Go into our back staircase, maybe by your house, whatever. As I was seeing that, Marcy, that imagery of that cow, now in my mind, a sheep in immense trust going, it's still, I'll get in it. It's not necessarily my thing to do to get in it, but I trust there's a shepherd. There I am. I'm all, not only am I cooled and refreshed, I'm protected from what? I'm protected from things that potentially would drive me crazy, stir me to the point. If you've ever gone out and watched cows, you think, does it ever drive them bonkers? You know, their tails are flapping and they're slapping the, they're slapping the, the fly off or they're trying to get it off. But think about the smart cow. He's in the water going, you dummies. I'm done slapping that, slapping that fly off. I'm just going to get in some water and no fly is going to sit on me. Or at least I could get down... I think there's something to be said in the kingdom of God when our heavenly father is saying, you're my kids and you need to trust me. And you need to be able to know that when you actually go beside still waters, it's okay. It's going to restore your soul. You can get in and you can be refreshed and you don't have to have all the little gnats and all the little things driving you bonkers. And, and you can sit there and be, even be protected from the enemy if you'll trust me. And Paul gets us to Ephesians chapter 5. And, and, and as Paul's been going through your identity and your relationship with the Father and, and what that means for those of us that call ourselves Christians, he begins to talk about more of what it means to be in Christ Jesus. And here we go, Ephesians 5. Imitate God, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, in everything you do, imitate God because you are his what? You are his dear children. Life, live a life filled with love, following the examples of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Paul's kind of laying it out. If, if you're wondering where you are in this, you know, is an adopted child of God, if you're a Christian and you've given your life to Jesus and you've asked for forgiveness of your sins and you've repented of your sins and you said, I'm in, I, uh, I'm getting baptized and coming out, uh, I'm new, I'm buried with Christ, now I'm alive in him, Holy Spirit has filled me, this is who I am. Therefore, when you see things like sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you, they, those sins have no place among God's people. It's something that we deal with. Obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jo- jokes. These are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is a what? An idolater. You're either in Christ or you're an idolater. And you're like, wow, it's getting real. And kingdom of God, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. But don't do that. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. For the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Now, what have I shared with you, and I'll just clarify right now, is you know that God is a God of love, right? We all know God's a God of love, Correct? The world is great to say right in the front of the newspaper, God is love. God is love. 
But what we don't see is that God also will judge. And God also gets angry. And God also gets mad. And, and remember what, I, what I've shared in the last few weeks? Though his anger and his judgment and all of that is righteous, unlike ours. So we tend to get mad and say things to each other that are like, boom, boom, you know, you hit it and you're like, oh, that was awful. Didn't feel good at all. He's saying, I do these things and I will actually, I will actually, (laughs) uh, these things, those that disobey them, my anger will fall on them. And, And I've said this in this series as well, that God disciplines those he loves. He disciplines those he loves. You ever found a parent that doesn't discipline their child? Terrible, awful. So, don't participate in the things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord, so live as, the, live, live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Verse 10, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in this worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. I mean, think about that. Carefully examine what pleases the Lord. So when somebody comes to me and they go, hey, I was thinking about going on this date and I was thinking about sleeping with such and such person. And I go, you need to consider whether that glorifies God or not. I was thinking about telling my boss this. You need to consider what does that is that please pray ask the Holy Spirit to reveal you reveal to you. And often he reveals through his word and He says, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about these things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. And that's why, if you are children of light, the world doesn't like you. Because it's like a spotlight. And it's not, that's not meaning that we're walking around going, eh, you're wrong, spotlight. People, of course, wouldn't like that. But when you tell the truth and you live your life in honesty, in love, in kindness, and, and you're saying, and somebody comes to you like this last week, somebody said, I was meeting with two guys, and, and one of them said he was going to go on a, on a date. He met somebody on, I forget, some dating site, and he said, I think I'm going to probably sleep with her. And the other guy goes, what does God think about that? He's like, I don't know, ask pastor. <laughs> and I said, well, let's talk about that. And, and the reality is, is that when all of a sudden I go, well, if you're wanting to obey God, she's not your wife. And therefore, because God says, this is the way you're to do it, and it's the best way, it is the right way, I would say that you'd be living in sin. I'm going to tell you, no one wants to hear that, especially if they want what they want. And so, this light is, comes out, and, and so be careful how you live. Don't be like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine. Don't be buzzed with wine, with alcohol, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with what? Not the spirits. Don't be filled with the spirits. 
Be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So, so here we get this, 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 these things that Paul is laying out for the Ephesians and also laying out for us to say, here's, here's how you're to live your life. The reason this isn't so problematic, for, shouldn't be so problematic for us, is you know why? Who's your daddy? If you're in Christ, you have been adopted by your father through Christ Jesus. And when you and I are adopted by our heavenly father through Christ Jesus, changes everything. And if you think back about all the time uh, that God, when, when sin first entered the world, all of a sudden... God has this plan that's in in motion that says, I understand that your sin has separated you from me. And all of that time, that gap between, here's God, here's our sin, here's Jesus. He set in motion a plan to do what for you? Adopt you. Adopt you. And all the warts with you. All the issues with you, all the baggage that we have. Think about this. There was, I've been on the continent of Africa many times, and I've met with um, at different orphanage orphanages. And in this particular country that I was in, that literally there were six million orphans alone in that country. Six million orphans. They, they, the, the culture was a culture of such poverty that literally when they would have a child, they would seek to discard that child because they could not afford to have that child. There was a, a kid named Benjamin and the kid Benjamin uh, grew up and was being raised in an orphanage. The reason he ended up in an orphanage was because his mom was scared to take him out to the woods and leave him to die for fear that she might get caught and then the, the government or the what community would find that out, whatever. And so she took this child to an orphanage. And this child was then raised. The only father that Benjamin knew was the orphanage director whom he called his father. And then one day, Benjamin has parents from North America show up. And like so many people that I know, they decided to adopt Benjamin. And Benjamin gets the word that there is a North American couple that is willing to adopt him and bring him back to the United States. (laughs) And this couple had shared about how they didn't understand really what grace in the gospel looked like until they adopted Benjamin. And, and how when they held this little boy and he sat on their lap 
and he had lived in eject poverty, um, you know, with uh, potential for the disease and the sickness and, and, and lacking the, the things necessary for, for his body to thrive and grow and all of that. And now he was put on the lap of this child and held tightly. And the, the couple said, all of a sudden, it was like this flooding imagery of the gospel came into our minds that said, this is nothing that, we, that Benjamin earned or deserved or paid for or did anything. He just existed and one day he he was put on the lap of this this father and now he was taken and given the opportunities for the best schools he he didn't have to wonder where's the next meal going to come from he was adopted he was he had the opportunity to potentially uh, be able to physically thrive and and imagine the life and the trajectory of benjamin once he was adopted now benjamin the official deal wasn't sealed until they got him home do you know what you're adopted you didn't earn it you didn't deserve it you didn't you didn't pay for it you did whatever if you are in christ and you gave your life to jesus you in essence were set on the lap of god your father and he adopted you but one day you're waiting to be what taken home and that day so you're you're in a place where you know your identity is one of adoption you're not condemned you're not going to be judged like everybody else because you are in christ jesus when god sees you he sees jesus and he sees his righteousness not your filthy nasty awfulness that exists apart from christ and benjamin has this experience and then Think about, the, think about the history of, of, of what is, comes onto the scene. Here comes Jesus into the Roman Empire. I don't know if anybody, any of you like the Rome, the studying history and looking at the Roman Empire. It's kind of fascinating as a preacher. I've studied it for years. Is, is that in the Roman Empire, you had to have, because of sickness and disease, you had to have no less than probably five kids. Why? Because three out of five typically didn't make it disease and sickness in fact in fact most about like 75 percent would never make it to their first birthday in fact did you know in the roman empire in the poor in the poor places they wouldn't name their child till about the eighth or tenth day just to make sure that they would actually survive to that day and and so all you know so you have this these people that are going they're 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 selling their children off if they you know they their their children are dying they have all of this this stuff going on with with the culture and and then they hope that two of the five might make it do you know who adopted in that culture the wealthy elite and do you know why they adopted it was all about love had nothing to do with love had to do with carrying a name on for the empire did you know that Nero was adopted? There's one that probably shouldn't have happened. Right? And they did it for those purposes. And so you can only imagine when Paul is writing this book of Ephesians. And he's writing words like, Therefore, because you are his dear children. And they're like, What? Because in their culture, the way that they treated life was so, so 
in many cases, uh, demeaning and people weren't lifted up. And especially if you were an outsider like the Gentile nation. And so Christians started to adopt kids for a very different reason. Why do you think Christians started to adopt kids? Because the light of Christ began to fill their soul. And they began to look around and they began to see there's over 6 million orphans, so to speak. And they began to look around culture and go, we think we have a responsibility to be light, to be hope, to be salt, to care. And the church is that imagery. In fact, with that, they started doing this and, and imagine being the Gentile in the Jewish culture, and they say, hey, we would like to read Scripture to you. And as they're reading Scripture to you, you're like, we want to hear about how we're in this, and how does this look? I mean, how, how is it that we are now part of this thing called the church, and we're part of this kingdom of righteousness? Could you please read us some stories about us? And they start reading stories about how they were the losers, and the Gentiles were the ones that were the Goliaths in the Bible. They would come out and, and be like, you know, I'm going to throw your body to the birds and your bones, you know, and I'll, I'm going to do it. And, and so all that they see is these stories in the gen, of the Gentile culture literally being against God. Gentiles were the pagans. Gentiles were the outsiders. And so read us about this God that loves us so much only to watch as the Jewish people annihilate them. Isn't that crazy? Oh, these are wonderful stories we want to tell our kids. You don't think about that ever, do you? We don't really think about how, how that must have, what that must have meant to them, and especially to the Jewish culture going, we are gods. And then, you know, the Gentiles are over here going, yeah, we're kind of, and, and then Paul goes, no, 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 we are actually together in this now, and you're grafted in. And yes, those were awful stories. And then there were some stories where the Gentiles actually did some good things, but mostly it was tragedy. And then, all of a sudden, Paul goes, mm, you're children of God. We are. What would that mean to a culture that was looked as pagan and outsiders? That changed everything. Changed everything. Such a, such a powerful, powerful imagery. In Ephesians, Paul refers to God as father eight times. Eight times, and they're sensing that they are now part of this, this culture. They're no longer outside. They're no longer people that are destined for, for death and, 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 and eternity separated from God. They're in. And then they hear about Jesus. They hear about this Jesus and they hear about how powerful and loving and gracious and kind, how he heals the sick, raise the dead, do all of these types of things. They're experiencing this, this. They're going, we, we heard, we know you're sharing about this Jesus and all that. And then they go, oh, not only this, because it was always what? The firstborn that got the inheritance, right? The firstborn got the inheritance. It just makes sense. And typically the firstborn male got the inheritance. So who is the firstborn in the kingdom of God? The Jews, Jewish people, God's chosen people. And all of a sudden, the imagery and the words are stated that you are joint heirs. You are actually joint heirs. 
Oh, it's not just Big Brother getting the, the, the nice things. It is actually all of us. We're in it together. Join heirs. And they're like, woohoo, let's do this. And do you know that then the experience began to happen about this brother and sister. And in the time of, this is so fascinating, we don't often know this history. In Paul's time, it was, it was to call someone a close relative if they weren't related, it was actually illegal. You know, if I was like, Mikey's my brother. And they're like, how's he your brother? But what do we call people in the kingdom? And what do we call each other as, 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 as Christians in the church that are around us? I call them, we may not, you may not like this, whatever. It's, it's, kind of, it's kind of been left on the wayside. I think we ought to even get back to it. Is that you are my brother in Christ and you are my sister in Christ. And what happened in the culture, in this culture, in this New Testament, Ephesians 5, adopted your identity and so forth, is the church began to call each other brothers and sisters. And what did it do? It potentially put at risk even their their inheritance in their earthly family, and they were willing to surrender it. Because they knew that nothing can compare to this Jesus that had done transformative things, that by his spirit had come into their life, and they were willing to go, she's my sister, he's my brother, and I'm okay with that, even if that means I go to jail and you don't like it. And many people said, I'm, you know, this is a, a, a broken piece, I'm, I, I still love them, but I want you to know this is where I'm going to dwell. And they lost Everything in many cases. Adopting children when it was not cool. Calling others brothers and sisters when it was not acceptable and in many cases illegal. There must have been something pretty big going on for this to be taking place. And it was. It's called adoption. It's called transformation by the power of the Spirit. Oh, and then by the way, what does that inheritance look like? Hey, by the way, welcome to the family. Welcome to the family. I got a few Mercedes out back. Welcome, welcome to the family. You, you are going to have mansions. You are going to dine with the king. You are going to, what? All of us? Yes. What's your inheritance? I'm curious what your inheritance looks like. I'm just asking now, I'm, I'm going to do this because I can. What do you think your inheritance looks like? Because this is kind of a big deal. Because FYI, if you're in Christ, you've been adopted, and you have an inheritance, and it is okay to get excited about that inheritance. What's your inheritance? Anybody? Joy. Joy is an inheritance. Get to, get to call Jesus brother. What else? Ooh, who said that? Yes. Oh, and he will wipe away every tear. Have we read that somewhere? Revelation, that literally he will wipe away every tear from your eyes, and there'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more suffering. Do you know that everything that you see on a daily basis, all the brokenness, all the distorted stuff, all the twisted sin will be gone, and that's your inheritance. Your identity is one of adoption. 
This is one in which you literally, and and when we, I pray God gives you such a download of, of revelation over your life that nothing else will matter but your adoption and understanding that relationship with God so that when all of these other things are vying for your time, you'll go, it's not worth what I'm getting ready to get one day. So, so significant. Anybody else? That's a big one too. Anybody else? What's your inheritance? What are you looking forward to? Anybody? Love and acceptance. Yeah. I am always curious, just a side note, and this is me, I won't rabbit trail. What our glorified bodies will look like. You know? Love and acceptance. Nobody's looking at each other going, well, they're kind of short, they're kind of tall, they're kind of fat, they're kind of skinny. Nope, don't worry about that. We're going to have glorified bodies. What will those look like? I don't know. Will you be a 10-year-old? Will you be a 20-year-old? Will you be a 60-year-old? Right? Am I going to be like, whoa, Kent, how you doing, man? Like, you didn't recognize you. Jay, didn't know, you know, you could look that good, Jason. I didn't either. That fascinating. This is kingdom stuff that God, it's not just made up and it's not just fable. It's literal identity in Christ adoption. Uh, there's a girl, I'll call her Sarah. She was born and before um, she was born, her dad um, had left and her mother was just an absolute tyrant, absolute awful individual and beat her down, um, remarried, and basically told her growing up that her she was a result of her father leaving. She was the one that caused the problem. Her father, stepfather comes in, and, and they were just two awful parents. And you, this is stuff that is like news on the news, you know, where they'll, they'll put them in like a, a cage and feed them through like a, a dog dish. Her stepfather started raping her at a very early age and then prostituted her out to literally thousands of men. You can't make, it's like you can't make this stuff up. This is just like twisted, distorted stuff. And, she, and you can only imagine what brokenness existed in her soul. And some of you have met people like this. And then when somebody starts talking about God as their father adopted, she, she would say this, it made me want to throw up in my mouth. Because all that I knew of a father was abuse and this sexual perversion. And you're going to tell me that I haven't adopted a father that wants to adopt me? And then she went to a camp in which she, like I think it was 16, 15 or 16 years old, had an encounter with Jesus. And she said it was like something began to well up inside of her that she knew that she, she felt like love that she had never felt before. But she gave her life to Jesus and transformation began to take place. But of course, when you've got that much trauma, you can only imagine the baggage. She then, later on, still trying to figure out what does this salvation look like, she gets married. And of course, you can imagine how that carries on into your marriage. And um, she then, her and her husband, got the proper marital counseling that they needed. And God God restored her, her marriage, beautiful daughters that they had. And she said, 
it was, there, was, she was, there came a day, she, there, there was a big gap between that 16 years old and the time I was 30 to where I finally understood the gracious, loving, adopting God and what he did for me and restored me, healed me, transformed me. And she said, there's nothing that can compare. And she goes, I can't bestow that on you, but I can only share my story with you. And I read that and I'm like, this is so, so good. Sons, sons and daughters. Now I'm going to wrap up here. Here's it. Here it is. Sarah's transformed. Benjamin adopted. Didn't earn it. Didn't deserve it. Didn't whatever. And, and Jesus, out of his love and God out of his graciousness, sends his son. And now we actually have, we actually have uh, sons and daughters that are supposed to act. And you go, well, wait, is there a list of do's and don'ts? And isn't, I mean, that, isn't that where the church has kind of gotten itself in a little bit of trouble? We're more against something than we are for something. So people don't necessarily want to be identified with a family that's all about do's and don'ts, you know? Don't, don't do, don't, like, oh, what, what am I, I don't know whether I'm doing right or not. Here's the thing. It wasn't ever about just do's and don'ts. It was about the protection of your life keeping you safe, helping you to live a life that prospers and is blessed and versus just a list of do's and don'ts. And how do we do that? It, the only way that you and I can truly do this in Christ Jesus as adopted children is by the power of the Spirit of God. Jesus was conceived of what? The Holy Spirit. Before he, before he started his earthly ministry, he was what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. He was led out into the wilderness by who? The Holy Spirit. He then, he then has these encounters. He's doing miracles and transformations all in the power of the Spirit. Do you think if Jesus needed the Holy Spirit to live his life to honor God, do you think you need the Holy Spirit? Oh my gosh. This is so huge for the church. In many cases, we wonder why we feel a list of do's and don'ts. You'll ne- when you are filled and transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, which I pray over you today, when you're transformed, it's not going to be a list of do's and don'ts. It's going to be an absolute identity in Christ, one that understands your adoption. I'm going to read, to wrap this up, a final story by sociologist Christian Smith. And it was the first study, the largest ever undertaken on the spirituality of teenagers. Uh, and, and, and it's culminated in his book, Soul Searching, the Religious and Spiritual Lives of American Teenagers. He followed up that with a study of, of the spirituality of post-high school young adults, culminating in the souls in transition, the religious and spiritual lives of emerging adults. His research concludes that most teens and young adults hold to what he calls moralistic therapeutic deism, MTD. The basic idea is as follows. There is a God who made the world but lives far away. He watches life on earth but isn't involved in any meaningful way, and we won't meet this nameless, faceless God unless we live a good life so that we can go to heaven. That's deism. Number two, we are not sinners who need a savior, but rather basically good people. We are each supposed to live a moral life by being good, fair, and nice to people as taught in the Bible and most world religions and, I, and, and most world religions and ideologies. All religions teach basically the same moral message, moralism. That's a moralistic thinking. Number three, 
The central goal of life is to be happy and feel good. So we should take the encouraging and empowering information we find in disciplines such as psychology and spirituality and integrate it together in ways that will work for us. Then we can make good decisions and live good lives that we are proud and happy with. That's called therapeutic. Moralistic, therapeutic deism. And what has happened is that this widespread view of God by young people resembles their earthly fathers in many cases. In their view, God is basically a dad who left the family when they were too young to even remember him. Still, he's decent enough. He's a decent enough guy, and though we don't know him and he doesn't visit, he nevertheless wants us to be good people and live good lives. God the Father in scriptures is so much better than the false God invented by confused orphans in our culture. Praise God. (laughs) Praise God for that. Yeah, we have been adopted by a father who loves us, lives with us, cares for us, and has needed disciplines for our and has needed disciplines us for our good. And what you are is you we are heirs of all that is fully privileged sons and daughters of God and adopted fully in Christ with the best dad ever. That's your identity in Christ. That's Ephesians. That's Paul. That's the gospel. And it is something that ought to be permeate your DNA from now, if it hasn't already, from now to the day you meet God face to face. Bow your heads. Close your eyes. Thank you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the grand plan in the midst of humanity's failures. We thank you for the grand plan of adoption. We, who's our daddy? <laughs> we have an earthly one. Whether we know him or not, whether he was good or not, <laughs> probably isn't the bigger deal. The bigger deal is knowing our adopted Heavenly Father. And Lord Jesus, would you bring fresh revelation over your church right now? Those that have been broken and hurt and wounded by their dads or fathers or maybe didn't even know one. Would you bring God this fresh revelation of Ephesians 5? That we are children of yours, joint heirs. We are part of your family. Thanks for not abandoning us. Thank you, Jesus, for going all the way and including us Gentiles, the ones that were the Goliaths, the ones that were the Babylons, the ones that were the Roman empires. We were part, we as Gentiles would be that, but you said that we can be part because Jesus, you made it that way. And thank you that then we have brothers and sisters (laughs) that we get to know and we can enjoy life with and can be diverse and all of that, but yet we are to love. And Lord, would you continue to paint the imagery of our inheritance? Our inheritance. That may God, we not lose sight in a distracted world that is uber, uber, uber distracted and focused on so many different things. May we not lose sight of what is our, what is our eternity? Help us, oh God. And right now, I pray this over your church. Would you fill us fresh with your Holy Spirit? 
In fact, I'm going to just ask you with all heads bowed and eyes closed, just raise your, just your hands, face them upward just a little bit, just however you want to do this. Raise, raise anybody online, you can do this as well. Just raise, raise your hands. I just say, and I would just have you say, and you just, however you want to say it, just Holy Spirit, come and fill me fresh today. Holy Spirit, come and fill me fresh today. Holy Spirit, come and fill me fresh today. Holy Spirit, come. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, come. We can't do this on our own. We're not capable of it. (laughs) And even your word says our righteousness is as filthy rags. That's why we needed you, Jesus. And we need you, Jesus. Thank you. So today, fill your church. Transform their lives, and mine included. And God, may we be salt and light in a world that is searching and needs you. Thank you, Jesus. Your church is alive, and as it is, there is hope. Hope is here in you, Jesus. Thank you, and your awesome and mighty and limitless name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you'd like to dive a little deeper, you can join Pastor Jason each week for the TruthCast, a weekly podcast on Instagram Live, now on Thursdays at 12 p.m. Simply follow NH365 Round Rock on Instagram, and we'd love to have you be a part of the conversation.